For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco, Riri Cheney, Tian Tran, and Grace Para investigate which Democratic presidential candidate has received the coveted internet grifter endorsement. Does your spice rack make you a bad person? What is American dirt and why is everybody so mad about it? And where's the respect for living single in this world of friends? All that and more starting right now. Children, they're great to see in playgrounds. They're jarring to see at bars, and they're really annoying to see working at the highest levels of government. Here to discuss the tantrum-throwing little boys who are driving America off a cliff is former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Obama and Birkenstock goddess, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hello. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Erin. So I have a question for you. (laughs) I am always ready for my weekly question. This is actually kind of germane to the news, uh, unlike some of the questions that I've asked you, which are truly a waste of your time and everybody's time. Um, Have you ever known somebody that you would call a Pompeo? I am lucky enough to say that in my life, there are not many people who I would call a Pompeo. But you know exactly what I meant when I said a Pompeo, like a man who... Pompeo's. A bratty dickhead. A bratty, yeah. di- a bratty dickhead whose emotions are completely in control of him, who believes that it's everybody's responsibility to manage his uncontrollability rather than to control himself. In a nutshell. Yes. I mean, that was a really verbose nutshell, but it's basically like a big fucking baby. A big fucking baby. So Meh, everything's so unfair to me. And and like the thing that really pisses me off is that the people who Pompeo Men who Pompeo out always think that it's some sort of display of masculine prowess. And it's always just like, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's it's a messing your diaper of, of emotions. So <laughs> I want to just, I want to kind of, this happened last week. Um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was interviewed by NPR's Mary Louise Kelly about uh, a couple of different issues. But when the conversation veered toward Ukraine and former Ambassador Marie Yanukovych, he got really hostile. And after the interview was over, he took Mary Louise Kelly into another room, yelled at her for a while, made her point out Ukraine on a blank map. By the way, Mary Louise Kelly was a European studies major in graduate school. Um, and then got mad. He said nobody cared about Ukraine, but now Mike Pompeo is in Ukraine. So the story of Mike Pompeo and Mary Louise Kelly's confrontation, it wasn't really a confrontation. It was very one-sided. It happened last week. But earlier this week, President Trump praised Pompeo for the way that he, quote, handled her. I think you did a good her. I think you did a good job on her, actually, he said. So Alyssa, what what do you make of the proliferation of Pompeoic men at the highest echelons of government? 
you know, I tend to think that Trump's a fairly equal opportunity offender, but you have to wonder if Pompeo would have tried to school a man the way he tried to school her, you know, and be like, here's a blank map. Also, who the fuck keeps around blank maps when you're secretary of state? That is like, I think it's just a weird thing to have had on hand. Do they use it for Trump before press conferences? And they're like, circle a country that's not France or Germany and say what it is. I think like, I think weird. I think with Trump, it's more like, okay, which part of it is the land? And which part is the ocean? You got to crawl before you walk when it comes to knowing about geography. You are exactly right about that. (laughs) You know, I think that you're right, Alyssa, that Pompeo's of the world and the Donald Trump's who cheerlead them are, uh, they believe that this is working. But Maggie Haberman of the New York Times pointed out earlier this week that she thought that, you know, this probably isn't good for Donald Trump's chances with women voters who are already sort of starting to peel off from him. Do you think that there's any truth to that? I mean, I don't know. Not really. I mean, I'm looking for a diamond for a dollar. Yeah. I mean, I can't, again, every single time he does something ridiculous, you and I talk about how, like, what kind of a person would this be the last straw for? Like, I was okay with the kids in cages. That's exactly what I was just going to say. It's like, really? Do we think that like him painting some smart woman as, you know, petulant and in need of punishment is going to offend and send people fleeing away more than like the kids in cages or Muslim bans or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It seems like, seems like if you, if you've made it to this point, you're pretty much good through 2020. That's true. But I would also say that uh, the American public has a kind of goldfish memory when it comes to offenses. And so, and I think that every time there's a new one, it sort of renews our like, oh yeah. And then he did that thing. And oh yeah, he did that thing. And he did that thing. And he did that thing. It sort of is a daisy chain of, of terrible personality traits played out on the world stage. So I think that on one hand, I'm a little bit hesitant to think that a woman would be like, you know what? I didn't like it when he quizzed that woman about the map. That was too much for me. I don't think that there are that many people like that. But I think having offenses fresh in people's minds is important. And as long as he keeps giving them to us, I guess we can start, you know, keep jujitsuing them against him. It's true. And if nothing else, perhaps he's still offending the fuck out of people in Kansas and he at least won't get some off exit ramp of becoming a senator. Yeah. Oh, Mike Pompeo. What a what a fucking baby. What a, what a baby. What a goddamn no baby. No offense, babies. No yeah. offense, babies. Seriously. Babies at least are cute. Mike Pompeo. Don't want to look at him. <laughs> um, you know what? It's rude, but true. Okay. So let's go into um, the kind of final mad dash up to Iowa. I mean, this is sort of, you know, have you ever read about like black holes in space or extremely gravity dense areas in space, how like as light approaches them, all matter, everything bends, everything behaves strangely? I did actually used to watch Nova growing up. So, yes. Right. So, you know all about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like as we approach Iowa, that is what happens to everything in politics. It all breaks apart. It gets mega weird. Everybody starts acting strangely. And then all of a sudden we're all like blown to smithereens, like neutrons and quarks or whatever. Um, And here's an example. Uh, Last week, noted former Fear Factor host Joe Rogan (laughs) um, endorsed Bernie Sanders and Bernie was like, awesome. (laughs) 
<laughs> what did, I mean, I mean, Fear Factor host is one of the nicest credits that Joe Rogan has. I'm I'm being extreme. I'm very much sanitizing his his resume. He hosts a really popular podcast. On that podcast, he sometimes entertains problematic ideas. You know, I just think it's like fine. You know, like I mean, he has said problematic things that I am not whitewashing, but I think that he has a huge microphone. And if he's bringing people into the process who were not originally paying attention, then that's good. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a complicated thing, because I think if you're a candidate like Bernie Sanders, it's like, whose support do you I mean, you you take all the votes you can get. Right. Like, but whose support yes. do you tout publicly and whose support do you kind of just let them do on their own without you getting involved? Do you think that Bernie getting involved was a good idea? So here's the thing. I think that unless you pay super close attention to Joe Rogan, you might have only known him as a popular podcast host without knowing some of the very uncool things that he has said, some of the transphobic comments that he has made. So I think it was like, okay, for them to be like, oh, look, Joe Rogan endorsed us. But then like, I think once it was brought to their attention, some of the very bad things that he has said, they might've like, I mean, at that point, what do you do? Say we reject your endorsement. Right. This is what you're saying. This is like, this is exactly how shit gets wild and crazy for the next couple of weeks now. Yeah. I I mean, I agree. I I think that had, I would hope that had Bernie known, he would have maybe figured out a a little bit more sensitive way to roll out that endorsement (laughs) if he was going to roll it out at all. Well, right. And it wasn't even really like, if I am recalling, Joe Rogan was doing an, an interview with Barry Weiss, who asked him who he was thinking of voting for, right? Mm-hmm. And then she tweeted it out. Yeah. Oh, Barry Weiss. Right? So the whole thing was like... <laughs> I want her to write a book called That's Enough for Me and just not have it have any words in it. Erin, <laughs> what are we going to do? Do you think part of it's made worse because the candidates aren't actually like going at each other on the trail and that there's just sort of like, it's kind of like, you know, I don't even know how to like, what to liken it to, but it's like the caucus is on Monday, Mm -hmm. but nothing's happening except some surrogates. And so it's like, what, I don't know. I feel like there's like a hole that needs filling and it's going to be filled by bad things. Yeah. Although I will say that there are, you know, some good things. In addition to the Joe Rogan endorsement, Caroline Calloway endorsed Bernie Sanders. Oh, so that's huge. Christ. Huge for him. Huge for him. We've also got the... How is ha- she back? I think that she is uh, the president of the Attention Starved for Bernie caucus. She really, you know, attention seekers unite and and endorse Bernie Sanders. Um, And there's also the hot girls for Bernie hashtag. (laughs) I feel like it started a little bit like a joke last week to counter the Bernie bro narrative. Um, And it's women who support Bernie Sanders posting selfies and talking about how they are both hot and like Bernie Sanders. And I don't know how much else there is to it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, That's it. But, you know, there are some serious endorsements. Um, Elizabeth Warren received an endorsement by the Des Moines Register, which is Iowa's largest paper, which is a big deal. Big deal. Uh, Bernie Sanders has racked up a couple of endorsements in Iowa. Biden is leading, but who knows what's even going to happen. I guess they did some polling about who uh, people would be most disappointed to see 
um, win the nomination. And the leader in the person who people would be most disappointed to see be the Democratic nominee was Tulsi. So that's good. Yay! We can ag- mostly agree on that. Tough. And uh, the person who people would be least disappointed to see nominated was Elizabeth Warren. And you know what? I'll take it. How about you? I mean, I think that it's good to see that a progressive candidate, Elizabeth Warren, is somebody that people would not be disappointed to see nominated. And it's also good to see another progressive candidate, Bernie Sanders, so close to the top of the polling. So that's good. Maybe, maybe good things are ahead. I hope so. Uh, But here's a question I have for you, Alyssa. Like, Mm. I find it every single election cycle newly wacky that Iowa gets to kick this all off. It feels like so wrong to me. And as somebody who's been in politics, can you explain why it makes any sense at all? So on the one hand, I will say that let's just, let's stipulate up front. Iowa's super duper white, not very diverse. Okay. However, they do have this history of putting candidates through the paces, right? And over the years have kicked out some pretty good candidates that I think, you know, would be like, oh, they were good. Like, like it's interesting when you think about the fact that Iowa was, was the state that gave the world the okay sign on Barack Obama. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something to be said for how seriously they take the job that they are. They do seem to be fairly open-minded. Um, I think there's something to be said for like the, the DNC thinking about rotating the first four, because mm-hmm. something that the first four states have in common is they're not like terribly expensive to compete in. Right. So when you think about how big, how like the biggest, most diverse states, right? New York, California, well, they would be mad expensive to compete in, whether Mm -hmm. it's putting ads up on TV in the New York City media market or the Los Angeles media market or San Francisco. It's fucking Mm -hmm. expensive. Not to mention how much ground you would physically have to cover because they're such big states. So we would I have think to have that, like Iron Man running. I like we, somebody with his would. resources and his magical suit that kept him um, running around a big state like California. And when you think about it, if you're competing in a big state, well, what are you going to do? You're probably going to hunker down in the most population dense part of the state. You know, it's like, it would be hard. I think it would be hard, but I do think there is really something to say, okay, like Iowa, you're first this year and then South Carolina's first next year. And you know, then Nevada, that could be, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that would be very uh, worth looking into. My vote for one of the first four states. Can I just throw this in totally unprompted? Um, Okay. New Mexico. I think New Mexico is one of America's best states. It's a very diverse place. It has a, um, kind of interesting political history, but it's, uh, and it's big enough that, and there's a couple cities in there that people would have to travel between. I think that it would be a good place for Democrats to campaign. As someone who has been to New Mexico, I would not be sad to cover those campaigns. I love New Mexico. I it's love New Mexico. A great state. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Toast and Rose. Um, <laughs> I think I gotta, I gotta toast this. Cause it's, let's, Let's hear it. Okay. So um, earlier this month, uh, the president's spiritual advisor, Paula White, spoke at a church service in Florida. And uh, a video of this started circulating last week. And it's 
fucking awesome. <laughs> At the service, uh, Paula White, I'm going to just quote her. She said, strange winds that have been sent to hurt the church, sent against this nation, sent against our president, sent against myself. She prayed for them to be broken. And then she said, in the name of Jesus, we command all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when I heard that, my brain just started playing like the beginning of that Slayer album, Rain and Blood. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it sounds so metal. Uh, We declare that anything that's been conceived in satanic wombs, that it'll miscarry, it will not be able to carry forth any plan of destruction, any plan of harm. So satanic pregnancies is now a word that we have, thanks to the president's spiritual advisor, Paula White. Um, I want to toast the phrase satanic pregnancies (laughs) because it is amazing. I want a shirt of it. I, I would wear it. If I were ever to be pregnant, I would wear a shirt that said satanic pregnancies. Um, But I also want to point out that all joking aside, uh, Paula White is a real fucking asshole to call for anybody to miscarry because women who have miscarried have not generally had a good time. And it's it's a terrible experience. And like, how fucking dare you? How dare you, you charlatan fleecing her own church for millions of dollars? fucking asshole. She's yeah. a fucking asshole. She is an asshole, but the phrase satanic pregnancies, specifically isolating <laughs> that, I have to toast it. Everything else, I hope, roasts in the fires of hell. Um, so that's that's my that's my toast slash roast today. Uh, I had just a quick toast. Okay. My toast is to Nicole Wallace. Okay. Who continues on MSNBC to cut off people who lie. And she'll just like when they're showing a press conference and someone starts to lie, she just fucking cuts it off. And I find it very um, soothing and it makes me feel good because people forget she is a fucking Republican Uh and she is not standing for lies. And I just appreciate it because even on some of the other networks that are, you know, not Fox, they let people keep talking their gobbledygook bullshit of lies. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, "Mm, no, moving on. And so just shout out to Nicole Wallace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you could take a time machine back to the year 2000 and ask me, Aaron, are you ever going to be a big fan of Nicole Wallace? I would be like, you're insane. Absolutely not. I would say the same energy flows through Essie Cup, who is willing to call out lies as well. I really appreciate both of them. Chris Wallace. Yeah, Chris Wallace. He's, I guess, the Beyonce of Fox News. I mean, it's slim (laughs) slim pickings for Beyonce's over there, but he is, he's got to be the Beyonce. He's like, I feel like he's going to have a, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore kind of moment. Oh yeah. In shorts, soon, soon. Yeah. I mean, your eyes out people. Except in network, that character, Howard Beale was kept on because people kept tuning in to see him freak out. So maybe Fox News will like, will usher in its own demise by having Chris Wallace on there every day, bringing in huge ratings, being like, fuck you guys. God, we, I feel like we really covered the globe today in emotions, feelings, and news. We did. And uh, I think that the attitude we had has to carry forward because it's the only way we're going to survive this primary season. It's our satanic pregnancy. It is our, I'm satanically pregnant with rage and hope. Well, on that note, <laughs> on, on that note, Iowa. on that note, on to Iowa and Alyssa, I will see you on the other side. Talk to you on the other side. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay, we're back. We're at the part of the show where I'm not alone at a table anymore. I'm surrounded by lovely women who have opinions that are probably better than mine. Um, first, I want to introduce them to you. We have sitting right next to me a writer who is currently, what did you call yourself? Doing nothing. Doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been working for three days and I'm dying. <laughs> uh, we have somebody who's slowly coming unhinged. It's Riri Cheney. Yeah. Thank you for the table support. It's gonna be okay. Honestly, the the not having a schedule thing is it makes me feel like I'm losing a grip on. I too. went to Whole Foods without a plan, um, and I stood near Sumo Oranges for I want to say five minutes, not moving. <laughs> so if you're on the at the Santa Monica Whole Foods and you see a tall black woman looking confused, just push me towards the sandwich line. I have a I have a thing that I do when I'm shopping for groceries without a plan, where I end up in front of the RX bars. This is not a paid spot. I just really like them. Oh, I, I them. end up in front of them and like as soon as I find myself just like selecting all the different kinds and putting them in my baskets like time to, time go, to home. go home. <laughs> time to go time home. To go home. There should there should be like writer minders in the store that are like 
you're a writer who's not currently in a room. You need to go. Yeah. Like, okay, honey, let's go somewhere. You've got 15 (laughs) minutes max in this whole store. Yeah. I think people should set timers. I'm a big proponent of timers. Because Um, otherwise it gets like you're just like buying too many smoked paprikas and you don't need them. Don't need them. You don't need them. (laughs) That is, how do you know? I don't know. Are we starting with the hills we're dying on? That's a great (laughs) hill. You have too many smoked paprikas in your life. You don't need them. No. That would be amazing. Okay. I think I have like three actually. Second, second. Up a woman whose paprika status I do not know. Uh, she's writing for Showtime's work in progress, and soon she'll be writing everything you see on television. It's Tian Tran. Yeah, it's so good to be back. Yeah, I have one smoked paprika. Paprika. You just moved recently, so your spices. Have yeah. you accumulated the spices yet? No. So I just have like salt, pepper. I just got. Yeah, that's wild. I love that. But I also like um, a huge fish sauces. Like yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's the other thing I yeah. have. Finally, back from a long hiatus and fresh off writing for Broke, which starts airing in April on CBS. Yes, it does. It's Grace Parra. What is up, ladies and gentlemen listening to uh, this? <laughs> I would like to tell you that my smoked paprika status yeah. is currently uh, on empty. Oh. And I did one of those things where, like, I, I just squeezed the last little bit of spice out a couple days ago, and I put it back in my spice cabinet as a reminder. Rather, I should have just thrown it no. away. No. I know. But I got to go buy a new one. Uh, where do I is- go? Um, oh, my God. I have a recommendation, guys. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, not I, surprised about it. <laughs> Sorry. I got, I got so excited when I discovered this before Christmas because for everybody that I know that likes to cook, I just got them stuff from here. There's mm. this thing called World Spice. Yeah. And it, so- it sounds like, oh, yeah. a, sounds like a porn site for culturally World sensitive spice. porns, but it's not. World spice. You can World get... Spice. Whoever's taking the photos for Spice, World Spice, you're doing a great you're job. You're doing a great job. You're doing a really great we job. We love World Spice. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, have, they have segments like Curry Exotica. I do love Latin lovers. The true chaos of me mentioning paprika in this. And then it has spurs. This is beautiful. Paprika is like the opposite of our safe word. Like that's when we just yeah. unload. Let's go. Um, I, you know what? Weirdly, I think that the spice conversation yes. dovetails oh, it does. well into what we're talking about <gasps> today. Very much does. Um, so we're going to talk about, and, and I think that a lot of people's introduction to different cultures mm. is through food. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about a, a sort of mini controversy that happened in New York a, like a couple years ago where it was like a couple of white restaurateurs opened up a Chinese restaurant that had like very cutesy names. And it was like, it's our take on Chinese food. And of course, you know, there were people um, in New York because of gentrification, rents that made it really hard for immigrant families to have their own restaurants. Like there was a combination of reasons that people were like, this is an obnoxious thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And the restaurant recently closed. I don't even remember what it was called because restaurants close in New York all the time, usually without people mad at them. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But but I think that food and, and cuisine are areas that a lot of times either lend themselves to people thinking that they can kind of appropriate those things and profit from them or people who want to just kind of incorporate them into their own lifestyle. So um, I guess, Grace, since it's been the longest since yes. you've been here, yes. you get to start. Let's talk a little bit about cultural appropriation 
as it travels through food. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Now, I, I'm torn. I'm torn on this issue because I, I agree that when you are commodifying another culture's food for yourself, there's something that's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I love to cook. I got my spice pack, smoke paprika, as we're discussing. And the idea that somebody might say you're Mexican and can't make pad thai mm-hmm. in your own home yeah. is something that like, you know, that that that's irks a, that's me. That's a ridiculous I, yeah, stance. I, I agree. I agree completely. And I think that's the point at which cultural appropriation is taken a step too far because mm-hmm. I do think that food can actually be a gateway into understanding and appreciating certain cultures that you wouldn't otherwise. So food is the trickiest area for me with this. Um, f- bodies, though. Well, I want to keep talking about food, but uh, where do I begin? Okay. I was thinking, because, <laughs> I, I, you know, food makes me think about, about bodies and mm-hmm. figures. And, and when it comes to appropriation, I was thinking about how the appropriation of certain culture female body types is something that I think we've seen over our lifetimes, at least. In other words, and and Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what you guys think about this, but when I was growing up, all of us were relatively same age, I feel like there was a certain type, body type, Kate Moss, sort of very thin, eventually, you know, essentially like a a white female body type Mm -hmm. was the standard. And now I think we've swung in a different direction where we are celebrating different body types. But we're, and I think a lot of that is because there's so much more diversity in, in our country. But we're finding, I think, people are taking that a step too far where it's like, well, I want to have, you know, the ass of a Latin American woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go purchase that because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's, that's what I want to look like. Mm-hmm. And that's a point where it's like, okay, that might be a level of appropriation, but it might also be um, an homage. I mean, I don't know the point at which it, it's a little tricky, you know, yeah. when it comes to bodies. Well, I mean, I think you're right. There's a line between like assimilation and appropriation. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, America's a melting pot. So is this something that has melted in or is this something that has been stolen? Right. Which is like, we do a lot of stealing in yeah, America, yeah. too, like culturally, yeah. lots and lots of stealing. So, um, Riri, I wonder if you have anything to add to Grace's observation. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, I, I keep thinking about like the 2000s, like what a time. <laughs> what um, a time. <laughs> and there, and I was growing up during that period of time and to see like, being a little more full figured to f- to feel completely ignored by your uh, American Eagles and your Hollisters, oh, yeah, 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 and there was only this like very straight looking body that was accepted because that could you know wear a belly chain with like a little crop top. <laughs> Welcome back, two thousands. So nice <laughs> to see you on Euphoria. And but now it feels like parts of brown and black characteristics have been so whitewashed that now I don't know like the accepting idea is very interesting to me because it's it only became accepted when like white people had it so like which is like most things so when you know like I hate talking about them, but when the Kardashians, mm-hmm. ah, when the Kardashians were just like, uh, like, like small disco titties, but a fat ass, yeah. was like, dope. This is like, <laughs> this is a great look, and we want that. And let's go buy good American jeans, and let's go. Like they are perpetuating this idea of like, when it looks in this shade, mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. But if you have like a brown woman or a black woman with similar proportions, it's still looked as vulgar or like fringe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like it's a way for uh, often men to like be okay with their attraction to different races by putting it like yes. under a skin tone that they are not ashamed to publicly step out with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it is just a different type of fetishism. It's very frustrating, but at the same time, it has helped me accept things 
which is sad. I don't know. It's hard. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't it feel in some ways like the decision was made culturally for us that mm-hmm. now it's OK. To, like, in other words, yeah. that there's and that's what I mean to tie it into the idea of appropriation, that it, it feels like it's been sort of absorbed by the culture, by whatever cultural powers that be. And now it's OK, even though, you know, women of different body types have existed for so long. Well, I always think of um, in Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants. Oh, love it. I was just going to be. Yep, 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 yep. She, um, she, I think she started with Beyonce. She was lauding, like, that the way we, well, she was looking at how we, like, approach, like, the perfect body. And she was lauding um, J-Lo's ass, I think. And it went, then she named every, like, piece of different mostly brown bodies yeah. um, that we've all decided that oh, are okay. So it was like Beyonce's yeah. thunder thighs and yeah. need, like this person's butt and these person's lips. And she was like the only per- that which would only be made by like Russian scientists. And the only <laughs> yeah. person who looks like that is Kim Kardashian. It's like, Kim that's Kardashian. How she yep. Yep, yep, <laughs> right. Yep. right. <gasps> I mean, I think that, that it all comes, this is a part of a bigger thing, which is like visibility and like right. the, and visibility is something that in our culture has been commodified. You yes. know, if you're more visible, you are more in a position to make money off that visibility. And Mm -hmm. I think one way that people achieve visibility is through stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Tian, I want to ask you, um, have you noticed, like, appropriation of other people's stories by white America? I mean, yes, of course. I mean, you see it in movies and feature films, like, all the time. When folks are, I, I, for some reason, I'm thinking of like Slumdog Millionaire, mm-hmm. yeah. the whole Danny Boyle. And I just looked, I watched a little interview between like Julie Taymor and Kerry Washington at Sundance. And they were talking about cultural appropriation. And she immediately jumps in and is like, you know, I like the Lion King that I directed. I was, it was, it was more of my vision. And, and I wasn't trying, it was my vision. It was Julie Taymor's take on Lion King. And she was really already, like, which is like a so, crazy thing to say. Yeah, I yeah. just immediately think of Spider-Man. <laughs> so after, her, wait, what was hers called? Spider-Man, Spider-Man after, after the, the dark, into the dark. Into the dark. With no was, safety net. It was, yeah. yeah. Spider-Man into the dark and the dark represents death. (laughs) Love it. Love it. And I also think of like Ghost in a White Shell, the the Japanese uh, Mm -hmm. like comic graphic novel that Scarlett Johansson Mm -hmm. is in. And just thinking about all these stories that are taken from groups that historically in systems and institutions are marginalized. And these stories are being told by people that are in positions of power. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, if you're going to do that, because... Let's say, let's face it. People aren't going to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do that, then you need to be asking yourself the questions of like, why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. the one to be doing it? Are you talking to the people that you are trying to portray? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Are you actually consulting and with them? And are you actually consulting with mm-hmm. them? And are you actually checking in with these communities that have... And, and I feel like the thing that always happens is that these stories, it's always like it turns to like trauma porn. It's like always like oh, can yeah. you yes. pull the trauma from that community and also give yourself a pat on the back, mm-hmm. having some sort of like white savior complex mm-hmm. of yeah. like, look at me, I'm doing such a good job. I'm using my platform to tell this story when it's like you're really trying to profit off of somebody else's and somebody else's pain and someone else's narrative. Right. And you want to feel good about yourself. It's like a it's like a whatever helps you sleep at night sort of thing. You know, as you were as you were talking about that, I was thinking about uh, Scarlett Johansson, as I am wont to do. Um, But but, you know, I think that there's a sort of tug of war because on one hand, it's like on one hand, the the industry, the entertainment industry, media um, 
tells the public that the only thing that they will want to consume is something that is told by a face that they already know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if the media and and entertainment are dominated by white faces, then I feel like sometimes justification for things like, okay, we have to have Scarlett Johansson play a trans man in this movie because otherwise it's not going to get made. Oh, and right. actually, but that. actually mm. that was true when she pulled out of the project, right. they were like, we're no longer yeah. going to fund this yeah. project. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, who gets to tell stories because specifically it's been in the news recently with a book called American Dirt mm. uh, that everybody has been, uh, f- the publishing world's been flipping out about. Um, and it turns out the book is actually pretty problematic. And Grace, mm-hmm. I know that you've been kind of keeping abreast of this. So could yes. you explain to our listeners if they're not caught up? Uh, yeah. So so I have not read the book for um, a number of reasons, but Janine Cummings wrote this book that is basically it's a story that is being told by a white woman, but it's very much about Mexican culture. It's very much rooted in, um, you know, elements of Mexican culture that many people are suggesting should be told by, you know, a Mexican woman or Mexican author. Why is it that a white woman is telling this story? And not only that, but it's received a ton of accolades, including Oprah calling it, I think, her book Ooh, of the month or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's in the book. It's in the book club. So um, it's been lauded, and then people have been reneging on lauding it, which is which is you know to to reference what Aaron's talking about within the publishing world, it, you know, causing a lot of chaos because it's not something that everybody immediately um, was against. It was something that people initially embraced, and then it was like, wait a second, should we be embracing this story that's written by somebody who's maybe not the right person to tell it. Mm-hmm. And she also had a quote that I'll pull up here um, about having written it, which is, uh, I it's wish... an insane quote. <laughs> yeah, an insane quote. I read it and I was like, lady. <laughs> yeah. I wished someone slightly browner than me would write it, but then I thought, if you're a person who has the capacity to be a bridge, why not be a bridge? So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, you know... <laughs> It, hurt. uh, it, it hurts. hurts. It hurts. I'm laughing out of like yeah. her uncomfortableness. You know yeah. It is being developed by the people behind Clint Eastwood's The Mule. So maybe oh it's my her God. bridges over Madison County. Yeah. I guess that that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, Clint. Clint. She, she also writes, I worried that my privilege would make me blind to certain truths, that I'd get things wrong, as I may well have. Uh, but then I thought, if you're a person who has the capacity to be a bridge, why not be a bridge? Right. So I began. Um, <laughs> right. That's the last thing that she says. So, so I, I mean, in, in, in short, this feels like it's uh, capitalizing and mm-hmm. not uh, lifting up. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is the, the root of why this is such such a problem. Um, and, and also the fact that it was so willingly embraced by so many people, including Oprah. And you know who else did this? Salma Hayek actually yeah. posted yeah. something early on on her Instagram with like a picture of the book. Oh, my God, I'm so excited about this. It's amazing. And then she reneged on it yeah. saying, I actually admit that I haven't read the book. Everyone needs to just take a moment. If you don't know read, what you're talking yeah. about, read about it. It's OK. Yeah. You don't have to have a fully formulated opinion if you haven't done the research. That's OK. Yeah. Um, and in this case, we're, we're seeing a lot of a lot of backlash on that. So. I think there was an excitement in some ways. You know, I can see Salma Hayek getting excited about talking about the book because, oh, it's, you know, it's a story about a Latin American woman. That's cool. And it's being embraced by Oprah. That's awesome. But uh, not the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I also think that it's a reflection of how white the publishing world is. Mm -hmm. They keep getting stuff like this wrong. There's another controversy kind of bubbling up around another really anticipated title this year that is, uh, it's a book that's called My Dark Vanessa, and it is uh, by Kate Elizabeth Russell. Have you read it? No, I just emotionally, that title makes me very <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I hated the, co- I got a I got an early reader copy of it, mm-hmm. and I hated the cover art, and I hated the title, and then I started seeing a lot of buzz about it, and so I read it, and it is a story that is a very uh, intense and difficult story about a girl who is 
15 years old and um, has a sexual relationship with her teacher Mm. that is ongoing into her adulthood and it really fucks her up. Um, I didn't love the book. I thought that, you know, as I was reading it, there are a few things that kind of rung like hit me like yeah. they just kind of didn't hit quite your ear sit. Wrong. Yeah. yeah and then um you know after after i was almost finished with the book um i was peeking into book twitter which i never ever engage with because it is crazy so yeah um <laughs> but it's a real but uh i i was peeking in on book twitter and i saw a tweet that was you know not not something that i would ever qualify at all as as something that was like out of line or anything like that but there's this author named Wendy C Ortiz who is a latinx writer who is also a queer woman and she uh was talking about her book that she'd written in 2014 which is called Excavation which is a memoir of her life which was when she was 13 she entered into a sexual relationship with her english teacher mm. and a lot of the beats in that book it it I would never like, you know, accuse anybody of writing something that they didn't it's actually similar. write. Yeah. It's very similar. And Wendy Ortiz's book was published by an independent house. You know, she didn't get a seven yeah. figure de- deal. She right. didn't have tons and tons yeah. of publicity. And like the white version of the story that is not based on something that really happened. It's based on fiction, according to the author, um, is is getting a a ton of advanced praise yeah. and a ton of buzz. And it's it's frustrating to see um, because Excavation, which I recommend to anybody listening, it's it's a tough read, but it's excellent. It's, it's really, really good. Um, Excavation is about a woman who's, you know, a girl who's, you know, part of a population that's marginalized. Her family life isn't great. And, you know, she's got a kind of her upbringing and trying to figure out her way through the world is something that's that's riddled with all of these complications of race and class and, you know, the time at which she was growing up. And it's great. But it just sucks to me that the publishing industry was like, "Eh, can you do it whiter? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think I read... I'm pretty. I am sure I read that the woman who bought American Dirt also bought The Help. Oh, that yes. track. Wow. And yeah. when I yeah. read when I read that early in this morning, hair still wrapped. I really <laughs> um, it clicks for yeah, my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is there's this need to this idea of accessibility uh-huh. that it needs to be whitewashed that like I've I haven't read American Dirt I don't plan on it um because mm-hmm. I like to listen to the people whose stories it's closer to and telling me not to read it mm-hmm. but I've read a bunch of criticism on it and the idea that it's a lot of like uh like American white buzzwords as to what being Mexican is oh like, yeah it's yeah. like a quince is shot up and like yeah. um everyone's eating carne asada with like a lot of sour cream and of course like, as we do every day yeah yeah and every there's day. like Grace the... is eating from a bowl of sour cream exactly right now. it's just there's, be- there's a layer of beans underneath it and there's some mm. tortillas in my um oh, yeah. some, some flour tortillas <laughs> um, that was beautiful but it's like this idea that like the only way we can get these stories out to the only way these stories matter if white people are at all interested. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so frustrating to me because it's like bad books come out all the time, y'all. Like it's... I, I wish them well. It takes so long to write a book. It does. It's so wild to write a bad book. <laughs> yeah. um, but but it's, it's the fact that there are so many like Mexican writers writing beautifully about their stories and not conflating them with South American stories. But we're putting this umbrella over and mixing these different journeys and and just to make it palatable while also kind of like perpetuating 
Trump's idea of what it looks like to yeah. cross a border, which is yeah. his own other can of um, beans and rice. And, so <laughs> it's just, and I think that's what's really frustrating to me because it's like it's so hard to get a story made in yeah. the first place. To do it poorly is just unacceptable. And also to like not give access to folk who could do it better is just frustrating in all different types of creative fields. Piggybacking off of that, it's just it's it's these into like pub- publishing is very whitewashed. The entertainment industry that we work in is very mm-hmm. whitewashed, and mm-hmm. it's these people that are in positions of power that are mostly white. That diversity is such a buzzword, and inclusivity is such a buzzword. And I find that people are like taking diverse stories and taking these, mm-hmm. you know, marginalized stories, but it's safer for them to take it from someone who's a white person who's written it because at the end of the day, they still get to keep their job. Mm-hmm. Because if they start bringing in more folks of color or more marginalized communities to start telling these stories, of course, those higher positions then would start to reflect, look different. Yeah. Look different. I think it's a bizarre and racist kind of structural thing where it's like, okay, yeah, we'll give you diverse stories, but we're going to keep it in the family when, when who, like who gets paid and who gets to tell them because then we get to keep our jobs. Also, if, and oh my God, if a white person writes a story about a, a black or brown or Asian or differently colored person and it doesn't do well, they're going to get five more chances. Yes. Oh, yeah. But if oh, a yeah. person of color tries to write their story and it doesn't get the publicity that this <clears throat> is getting, it doesn't get like a book party that has barbed wire as like a centerpiece, which is, oh my God. A real thing yeah, that A happens. real thing that happens. Yeah. Happen. It doesn't also have a, manicure. a white uh-huh. a right writer with a matching barbed wire manicure. <laughs> um, then it doesn't get a larger audience. That person will not get another chance. That not yeah. only will that person not get another chance. That the, story won't. The, get the story chance. won't, and people will assume that that person's n- like non-success applies to everybody else mm-hmm. in their demographic. Yeah. Yes. So you know, it's like, oh well, we hired. Uh, Latinx writer to do this and they didn't do well so we can't hire any more Latinx Latin- writers. Sorry guys, that's just what happens <laughs> with Latinx writers. It's so, in- like there's a, uh, this young woman I know uh, from a long time ago didn't do well in a writer's room and lost her job and the boss of that said well I'm never going to hire like a a girl of that color, like uh, a, not that color, awful. but like a young person like that. But uh, but how many white boys get Of course, sick? of course. So of it's course. just like it's, it's in every every place it's not just creative fields it's everyone and the like pressure to like represent a story that might not even just be yours but like similarly colored to yours is so overwhelming and if you get the shot you want to do great but it's not something that white folk have to deal with can i can i say also to that point that as a as a mexican-american it is so frustrating that we're hearing controversy over another border border crossing Mm -hmm. story there's so much more to mexican culture than just this one particular area and you know, when when a controversy like this arises for the myriad reasons that it's that, you know, people are talking about it, it's still at the end of the day. Oh, a, a story about a Mexican woman trying to cross the border. Facing great violence. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's why I think the, you know, referencing the trauma porn of a certain demographic of people with my particular demographic, it is over and over and over again, the same story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is as though people don't understand there are more stories to discuss yeah. within this culture. And it's so it's so egotistical that America can only process stories of Mexican yeah. people who really want America. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like yeah. it's like the same it's like the same fucked up mechanism that makes like casting directors put really hot young women with like old men yep. that the male viewers can identify with and they're like those women want me. It's like everyone in Mexico wants me. Everyone it's yeah. like it's such a it's such a fucked up way to present stories yeah. to people. Um 
I want to talk a little bit about the fact, though, that that cultural appropriation or incorporation of different <laughs> cultural elements is sort of something that is unavoidable, mm-hmm. especially in the area of fashion, um, which we sort of touched on a little mm-hmm. bit before. But mm-hmm. um, Riri, I wanted to start a little bit with you. You were talking, you and I, before the show, were talking a little bit about Billie Eilish. Mm. Uh, <laughs> little tiny Billie Eilish. I love she's her like, so much. I'm going to say that first. I love her so much. <laughs> I, I see her I and it's, nothing. She's sort of, I know. She sort of reminds me of like my cat, which is like the cutest little animal. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she's like, I'm yeah. scary. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You're it's like cute. I don't know, I though. It. I mean, Billie Eilish, I did not know of this incredibly talented singer-songwriter. Like, the girl has pipes. Like Yes. Like, it's not just Phineas. Yeah. yeah. It's not just Phineas. <laughs> the last season of Glee fame. Um, she really is very talented. Yeah. There has been a conversation this week at, post the Grammys because everybody was just really showing their ass oh, yeah. when it came to fashion choices on Sunday um, about the fact that, like, this young, she's 18 years old, a girl always has these like long acrylics and, you know, speaks a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, you know, very baggy TLC kind mm. of fashion. Like Aaliyah. Yeah, very yeah. Aaliyah. Like if Aaliyah got into like green roots, like yeah. it'd be very similar to that. And and no, no shade at all towards her because she seems to be kind. Mm-hmm. But a lot of her followers and a lot of uh, people are saying like, don't recognize that these incorporations, I have to say appropriations because it's, it is, it feels closer to appropriation. Uh, these characteristics or these like fashion trends that are from like brown and black communities yeah. of like, like we're, Grace and I are in hoops right now. You know it all day. All day. day. I'm <laughs> marveling. Like, all day. It's a real like <laughs> JLo and SNL like hoops. Oh you, my know, God, you feel yes. like trash put on hoops. <laughs> but, like, but like when I was in school in the or late 90s, that was like a real brown and black thing. And yeah. now it's like everyone. Yeah, like yeah. To, I'm gesticulating like I have acrylics right now. But, like, <laughs> That was a thing that, like, I felt if I wore in white spaces, people would think I was ghetto. But mm-hmm. now it's all good to have, like, mm-hmm. your, like, diamond-encrusted, like, just fully, I don't know how you wipe your behind, nailed. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, very frustrating. And that's been part of this, like, conversation around Billy and mm-hmm. a lot of these young women who are showing—who are not— particularly aware of how their whole base culture, because internet makes everything feel like it's coming from everywhere when it actually isn't, is from communities that don't actually um, have the freedom necessarily to go as wild Mm -hmm. as they might want to. So it sounds like what is what can be positive about stories of marginalized communities becoming part of the mainstream conversation is that those people are included in mainstream culture. What Mm -hmm. sucks is when the conversation happens and they're still excluded and the people profiting Mm -hmm. from the conversation are people who are not members of the marginalized community. Can you think of an example of a time when it would be appropriate for somebody who is not a member of a marginalized community to like, what, what does elevating someone else's voice look like. You know, I, I was thinking about this with regard to American Dirt. If mm. uh, if she had written that, if she had co-written that book with somebody mm. who had a personal experience of crossing the border, that might have been appropriate. You know, if if you can lift up somebody else's voice in conjunction with your own, I don't hate that. Yeah. I don't hate that idea at all. That's when it can be appropriate, regardless of, of the genre of, you know, entertainment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. Uh-huh. Brad Pitt produced uh, 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. He was one of the producers of When They See Us. He—and you don't know it. 
Oh. He yeah. puts his money and his power where his mouth is. And I think um, that is a route that if you have that, you know, if you can swing that big stick. Do yeah, it. yeah. And I think and there, it is, I think my appreciation of him is wrapped up in the fact that, like, you don't know that he's produced these things. Yeah. You don't know that he is, like, pushing these stories forward, except he did show up as, like, that white guy in 12 Years of <laughs> Late. But, like, that guy existed. He was Canadian. Um, so it is, like, there are ways to push forward these stories when you have worked for your access in a way that doesn't feel... Um, sleazy yeah 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah sarah jessica parker has a book imprint which a lot of people she, she her 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 legacy is that. carrie bradshaw has yeah. a lot of people like with rubbing their temples out of frustration and the shoes yeah which isn't you know shoes. which isn't entirely her fault but mm-hmm. because she's the face of sex in the city i think a lot of times people associate her with a specific type of white womanhood but she has a book imprint and she her imprint publishes stories from people that are from marginalized communities there's a book called dawn on her imprint that is I'm, I'm quoting from her website a new collection of short stories from the from her imprint written from behind bars the unforgettable collection of one of turkey's leading politicians and powerful storytellers so it's uh, like a turkish an imprisoned turkish dissident and meets sarah, carrie bradshaw yeah sarah, sarah jessica parker's imprint is publishing that so like that's cool i think that's cool that's that cool. Really cool that's cool to tie it back to our food conversation earlier is there a world in which white people opening a chinese restaurant could have worked uh no because, okay here's why yeah. here's my problem i think my my issue is just like because it's always marked as like look at how like I, we have innovated yeah, Asian yeah, food. Yeah, you've tried a Jamaican beef patty, but try this one from like I don't know. Try it, a girl named Nancy. Yeah. yeah, like it's, for twenty thousand more dollars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what's so frustrating to me. Yeah, is this idea that they had the first idea. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Um, And you can't, I mean, you can't put the same stank on it that I know, like, somebody's I know. like grandma or brother or yeah. like my granny could put on yeah. it. Like, I mean, it so- seems like there's a sort of white entitlement specifically, uh, re- and, it, and it goes with food trends, but mm-hmm. specifically I've noticed like some white entitlement to like Asian food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Asian fusion is yes. basically white people's take on Asian food. When did food? Asian fusion... Makes me so mad. Yeah, when did You know when I think it did? Like Sex and the City era because you would see oh, Carrie they, and the girls go into these yeah, and they'd go into these like, you know, fancy ass. You Those know, restaurants that got like, like market bumps from yeah. being on that show. Yeah. I wanted to go to bed so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen like so many, I've read and seen so many pho restaurants mm. being opened by white chefs. And I find it so frustrating because I feel like so many of the, like the Yelp reviews and even like the way it's portrayed, it's like, it, like the cleaner than the hole in the wall that you would go to in Vietnamese town. Yes. It's like this conte- context of like putting it in like you can experience the culture, but in like a safer, cleaner environment mm, than, exactly like, it. Than, than you would experience and you'd pay a little more. But like and I hate that because like, you know, I grew up eating Vietnamese food mm-hmm. and like going to those pho places and they're the best. So and good. like, why would you want it in a like sanitized? Not, why would I don't you need want a it? sweet greens pho. Yeah, I don't need a sweet greens pho. <laughs> I don't need a sweet greens Nobody pho. Nobody asked for that. Nobody asked for that. I mean, another element to this is there are certain snacks that I used to grow up seeing all the time in Mexico. Takis specifically, mm. Topo Chico specifically, oh. that are now being sold at Gelson's yep. for like five bucks yeah. each or Whole Foods. The markup like, is crazy. The oh markup is crazy. And these are snacks that have been in like small Mexican bodegas that like nobody that all, all these people that we're talking about that would be too afraid to go because it's not sanitized. They have been sold for decades and now yes. suddenly are getting like a whitewash repackage in all the fancy grocery stores. Also things Very that strange. have been like made fun of. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. 
he would come over and be like, what's that smell? Yes. I'm like, yes. It's beef. It's like beef bones being stewed for hours. Like, ugh, want to fight about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's about your bone broth. Like, what's good? But like, are we begrudge? I don't know. Like, we can't. I want it both ways. I want all I know. I, know. I really. It's hard because I want to like be seen as like having been ignored. But now like, you're not ignoring me and putting it in spaces that because we are very privileged, have access to yeah. Yeah. and don't have to feel the like the making that making that journey. Yeah. Like having like when I want a very specific, you know, like black food, like if I can get some hot chicken closer to me, shouldn't yeah. that be great? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't I be happy? And I'm not necessarily happy. It just feels kind of still feels off. It feels yeah. off. It feels I mean, off. I think it's all about just being conscientious about mm-hmm. the way that you consume things that other cultures have produced and trying to make sure that like if you can, if you're in a position where you have choices, that you can choose the one that is benefiting people that are from that culture. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that that's I mean, and and I want to close this conversation by talking a little bit about things that we can, you know, do as consumers of media that are maybe more from people that um, have a personal stake in the stories that they're telling. Mm -hmm. Um, So does anybody have a recommendation for like art, music, or a book written by somebody who is a member of the Latinx community? I'll I'll start. Um, I think, like I said before, Wendy Ortiz's book Excavation is really good. Um, She's a lovely writer. And uh, after I read that book, I was like, I, I want to read more mm-hmm. of her of her work. So I would encourage people who are interested in a Latinx story told by a queer woman in a very original, innovative, and beautiful way um, to check out Excavation. I would. I have one that I just pulled up. I remembered um, a show called Vida. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's about siblings. It's written by a Mexican American actress and stars <clears throat> her uh, Tanya Soracho, and it's it's also a queer story too. And it's about LA. Um, check it out. Oh my gosh, that, I can't believe I've never heard of yeah, that. Vita. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, Vita. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Stars has some pocket shows. Yeah, that, yeah. Like, that they all great. all Latinx writers' room as mm-hmm. well. First time yeah. that's ever happened. That's awesome. That's yeah, so cool. Very very cool. I'll Stars is doing some good shit. Um, I have a suggestion actually that that Aaron um, tossed over to me, which I I love a lot. It's a book that is coming out soon, but it is on presale called The Book of Rosie, and it's written by Rosera Pablo Cruz and uh, Julie Colazzo. And uh, it, these two women um, founded Immigrant Families Together, which is an organization founded to reunite mothers with their children uh, at the border. And this is an example of a woman who, um, rather than co-opting a story for her own, worked mm. with somebody else to create a story that is authentic to that woman's life. Uh, and I think it's, I'm very excited to read it. It's on pre-sale right now uh, through HarperCollins. And that's an example of, I think, it's not appropriation when you are, and it's not co-opting when you're taking somebody else's story and lifting it up. But mm-hmm. you're giving somebody a platform that wouldn't otherwise have that platform. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So mine... Um, uh, is a very um, tiny, uh, beautiful yeah. songstress um, named Rosalia, who is starting to get more attention. Um, she's Spanish, not Latinx, but she's starting to get more attention in the U.S. And I think, um, other than her voice being bananas, mm-hmm, like so yeah. great, uh, what I think is so amazing is like she is one of the most like famous people outside of the United States and making that crossover is still so hard. Um, like, but also the fact that like we need to be listening to and and promoting music that isn't necessarily in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Whether it is like, I'm glad uh, BTS is getting like those, just those tender oh. boys. Oh, yeah. oh, they're so <laughs> tender. They're so tender. Like <laughs> the fact that they're like at every award show last year, just like really just 
rock. Uh, I saw out. you with Lil Nas X on yeah, Sunday. Exactly. I saw you. I, like, I, I saw you. I see what the move is. Just like <laughs> always dressed in like a 1997 like lesbian blazer. Yes. Like, so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But like, <laughs> Rosalia, like it's, it's so amazing to like show that like their language barrier is not a barrier to music. Mm-hmm. It's not a barrier to art. Mm-hmm. Like, please. Uh, believe in yourself more that you can appreciate something that you don't necessarily understand in a different word language mm-hmm. for yeah. sure that's also not you know, got the uh got the yeah, that's not <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna have that song in my head for the, <laughs> the rest of the week um but you know we're coming up on a super bowl halftime show yes has. i was oh, yes yeah. so grace can i just say i have never been more excited for a super bowl ever i'm so pumped about it and now, i will say initially i was a little bit like oh jlo can't just do this by herself shakira can't just do this by oh, herself but book. the more i think about it it's championing two Latinas mm-hmm. together. Yeah. I have never seen them perform together. The idea of in what Miami? they're going to do uh, mm-hmm. in, Miami, in Miami. So you know Pitbull's going to show up. Mr. Worldwide is about to be there for Mr. sure. Oh, oh my God. I am, I am so excited. Actually, I like... I, 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 I think that the hill that I'm going to die, I'll do another one, but I think that the hill, the real hill I'm going to die on this week is that if you really want to support Latinx artists, watch the fucking Super Bowl. I know that's weird, but it is a big, it's going to be a big deal. That Super Bowl performance is going to be a big deal. I have not watched the Super Bowl in a while and I'm watching. I, like, yeah. I feel like. I love it. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl because I like football oh, a lot. Sure, sure. Oh yeah, that's too. Um, Who are you rooting for, Aaron? Uh, 49ers. Duh, oh my God! Got to go with the NFC first of all. They knocked yep. out my Vikings, so I. They're, yes. It's like by trans by the transitive yeah. property. Sure, they sure. Uh, the Vikings are good if the 49ers win. The 49ers also have an LGBT inclusive coaching staff. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. yeah, one of their female assist- coach. One of their yeah. coaches is a uh, member of the LGBT community. She came out in 2017. She is. She's amazing. <laughs> we got a gay coach. We got a gay coach. <laughs> so I can't believe we're not taping this people right now. are dancing <laughs> in their chairs, and they're dancing with more gusto than the last few times I've danced on my feet. <laughs> so that's that's great. Uh, yeah, go 49ers in the Super Bowl. Um, and you know, I mean, Kansas City is fine. Pat Mahomes is f- sure. fun to watch. Sure. There are no there are no bad guys, but there are good guys. Yeah. Those good guys are the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Baltimore, so I wish everyone else well. Oh yes, I see, I see. <laughs> uh, we got to take a break, but when we come back. The hills will die on. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Before we get to the hills, we'll die on this week. A little bit of housekeeping. First of all, I am substituting to host What a Day this week. Akilah Hughes is out, and uh, I am urging all of you to tune in because I love and respect Akilah, and I don't want to ruin What a Day for her. By the time she gets back, her kingdom should not be in ashes. So please tune in to What a Day. Um, Next up, Crooked has relaunched VoteSaveAmerica.com, a one-stop shop for everything you need to vote, volunteer, and help determine the outcome of the 2020 election. I think we all know what outcome we would prefer. 
a good one. On the site, you can get registered to vote, find key dates and deadlines for voting in your state, learn more about the candidates and issues on your ballot, find opportunities to volunteer and donate, and so much more. We worked with political strategists, organizers, and voting experts to come up with a step-by-step plan to help elected progressive leaders to the White House, the Senate, and races up and down the ballot. Find it all on votesaveamerica.com, and let's get to work. Now on to the hills. Okay, we're back. We're at the part of the show where we get really petty about things that don't really matter. I mean, I love being petty. Yeah. It, feel, it feels good, you know? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it feels good. I love being petty with yeah. yeah. It's The Hills Will Die On. Um, let's listen to our listener hill first. The hill that I will die on is that couples do not need to grocery shop together. <gasps> there is no reason to oh. walk two by two down a grocery aisle. There's no reason to be holding hands instead of yeah, maneuvering your cart. There is no reason for you both to be there. Make a grocery list before one of you wow. leaves and then the one person goes. This is not date night. You don't need to be hovering in front of the yes, baking yes. aisle being like, oh, are we going to cook so? Are are we going to make something exciting tonight? No. Make that decision beforehand and get the fuck out of my way. And Jesus Christ, nobody wants to see it. Stop holding hands in a grocery store. Oh, oh, that was entertaining. That was amazing. I mean, I do agree with like make make your fucking decisions before you get to the grocery store for sure. <laughs> but you know, okay, here's my counter to that. Here's Pardon why me. I'm not going to die on that hill. Because... In that situation where couples are there, at least you got a heterosexual guy in a grocery store picking the food up. And I think a lot of times it is left on the woman mm-hmm. and the woman has to do it all herself. And at least like if if, if a guy's in there with, with the woman and they're in a heterosexual relationship, that's at least a guy doing that side of work, which they don't often do. But then like when I was stuck in that produce aisle earlier this week, yeah. there was this like this heterosexual <laughs> couple like post CrossFit, like buying legumes. And that did oh, irk God. the hell out of yeah, me yeah, yeah. because they were like... Like comparing leaves, oh like babe, God. do you think this bunch, babe, babe? Do you think? <laughs> and I was like, okay, my paralysis is lifting. Stop that! But I do love like a really cute lesbian couple at a Whole Foods. Like that really, like okay, oh, that's, that's adorable. So sorry. Exactly. sorry, we do that all the time. <laughs> sorry, that's us. Um, I have to say, I was very entertained by that hill, and I think we found the Grinch who stole Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yes, um, bring her back. Love it. Um, but yeah. I, I will say. That I'm doing dry January, and oh, yeah. when you're How's doing, I'm well. I'm almost done with it, wow. uh, and I'm not really that excited to drink again. But yeah. I'm gonna do it because what else am I gonna do? No, oh, I'm, it's gonna I'm, be great. Yeah, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. But I'm like, I'm not. You know, I was mm. just like, oh, my life is totally fine without drinking. But as a result of not drinking, I have all this time. Like yeah. I'm not. You know, there's no nothing devoted to going out on yeah. getting ready to go out and then going out and then the next morning sleeping in a little bit because I went out and then you know there's nothing like that. So I have all this time and so it's like grocery shopping is an activity yeah. oh yeah it's a sober activity that you should that you can do together and josh is a pretty adept grocery shopper i think that that couples shopping together become cumbersome when the guy is one of those guys who would babe. like hey, but what's yeah. condensed babe, milk babe. why do they go to condense it well and they like they don't they're just kind of there with babe, the what pre- type of detergent did we use babe do you know colors <laughs> <laughs> my parents love going to the grocery store together that's cute it's that's like so they're it's like their weekend thing they yeah. like love doing it like my dad will just stand in front of the fish aisle and just be like walk down and look at each fish and just be like Leanne do we think this is for dinner today oh, <laughs> I would watch a TV show of that I would. of your parents I would. I love shopping together I need that 
Um, okay, that's a, that's a good hill. If um, listeners, if you have a hill that you'll die on, you can record it as a voice memo and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. We love hearing from you. You guys are hilarious <laughs> and extremely petty, and we have nothing but respect for it. Um, here's a hill I'll die on this week. Netflix is wasting our time. Oh, they are, yeah, they are yeah. in the business of wasting our time. Wow. One of the reasons that I think A Quiet Place is one of the better movies of the last few years was because it, it was exactly as long as it needs to be mm-hmm. and no longer. It ends at the end. It starts <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of the story and it ends at the end of the story. Yeah. But on streaming platforms that are just trying to get you to keep watching and watching and watching, they have no incentive to condense mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. And so the other day I was watching a show on Netflix and I was like, this needs to be a third as long. There do not. There's not eight episodes worth of material here. There's like two or three episodes. T- this is maybe a movie and you've made it into a TV series and I'm on to you. You're wasting my time. So now I kind of gravitate. I don't really like go check out new shows on streaming services usually anymore because I'm like, this was made to waste my time. Mm-hmm. Except for Cheer. Which I could see many, Oof, many, many more hours that. of. It's really good. Ooh, have, ha, ooh, I watched all of it. Oh, I watched all I, of it. I cried. I Me burst too. into tears. Jerry? <sighs> Jerry. Oh, he's back. Anyway. He's back. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I hear you. It's There is a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to do my rant from Love It Early, but about the Irishman right now. But <laughs> I do feel like they... Some of the short form stuff, I actually want to see longer. Like they're like, I think you like, should leave. I oh, I was going to say bomb yeah, dad, yeah. but was, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like there's those are like very interesting concepts that they don't want to put budget behind, which is very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Versus, um, like my ridiculous king Ryan Murphy uh, doing the politician, which should have been a movie. Yes, yeah. yes, a hundred percent. So it's like it's like where is the line of like trap they're trying to trap us in content that should be truncated versus not giving the support to like smaller stories because Mm -hmm. they're not going to be as clickable i don't know what the witcher is i've tried three times (laughs) you know what somebody was watching the witcher on our netflix account and that made me think that maybe somebody had the password because it's like none of us in this house are watching the witcher my netflix password got stolen like over christmas and i got locked out and (gasps) honestly i didn't know I was gonna make it. Oh my god! I had to talk to tech support. Do you know how hard it is That's to find so someone on tech support? Oh my god! I can't even imagine. Yeah, they make you listen through eight menus because it's Netflix, and so you have to just like you know binge watch Netflix. the menu. I was panicked. Does, does Netflix still do DVDs? I don't, I don't know. Like if you want it, if you I want think, it. Because sometimes I'll just Google a movie because I was trying to find Spice World. <laughs> and it'll, like, pop up. Awesome. it'll pop up as like not available as streaming, but you could get a DVD. So like moms, oh. moms and dads in a lot of places, sure. I think they're still doing it. Interesting. Christmas gifts. Wow. <sighs> okay. Who wants to go next? I'll go. <laughs> Hill, I'm going to die on this week. Oh, she's ready. Oh, buddy. Keep kids away from adults. <laughs> Especially during sick season. And I'll tell you why. Uh, because I was laid up this past weekend with a stomach flu that hit three quarters of the female, like three of the female writers on my show, <gasps> which we got from actors on our show, which we believe came from the child of an actor who came to set one day and had just gotten over, I'm putting that in quotes, Mm. being sick. She was not over being sick. Oh, she was taking everything, wasn't she? Oh. (laughs) And we're like, oh, this kid's so cute. Oh, it's Mm. so nice to meet you. So cutie, cutie. A lot of that. Oh, my God. The gendered nature of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, yes, it it hit women and children on the show. The stomach bug, and I was out for days, and it was terrible. And you know what? It wouldn't have happened if people kept their damn children away from adults, especially during sixth season. And it's January, so it's sixth season. <laughs> no, the ti- it's the Titanic disease, women and children. Yeah, women yes, and children. Yes. <laughs> Isn't the problem that you have a kind spirit and you want to talk to children? <laughs> I think that's what the problem. I think is. That's, that's the part root of the problem. problem. I mean, I just love so much. Oh my god. Okay, Tian, do you want to go next? <laughs> yeah, I I don't have a petty one because I've just been watching this. Not even the show, just clips from it. <clears throat> the Hill That I Would Die On is, can we all just start watching flirty dancing and come back oh. and talk to me about it? It's so fun. What's the premise again? Okay, the premise is, <laughs> okay, the premise is two people separately learn the choreography for a partner dance. And their first date, first blind date, the first time they meet each other is like, it's set up in this insane, beautiful location. Oh like the lamps at LACMA. And like there, they do the dance together, but they don't talk. Their only interaction is this. Oh. And the, my favorite part is as they're dancing, they both have this face of like, oh, oh, oh my God, is that amazing? It's so amazing. Do they fall in love? I mean, I've only watched, this is the best part, is I haven't watched the full show. I've only watched the clips. So I I like have seen so many couples dance and I don't know where they end up. Oh, we got to find out. I'm just watching tons of clips on YouTube. Honestly, if you found out that like the person you're about to go on a date with also likes modern dance immediately, wouldn't you be like euphoric? Yes. Because I would. I love a flex foot, honey. Yes. Yes. I know it's all beautiful like modern contemporary it's lit dance. It's very well. So now these are yeah. not professional dancers. No, no, but they all move really but well. But they're movers. They're yeah. actors that okay. move. Yes, yes. excellent. <laughs> and there's like a lot of like trust fall related mm-hmm. choreography that I'm like... <gasps> There's right, a lot right. of like an arm going out and it's back. Yes. Oh God, so dramatic. It's just so beautiful. Are there ever so, like height differentials that are like... Oh, they seem to be pretty well I mean, paired. Yeah, they seem to be well paired just for like... The dance ass. I, I would love to see a tall woman in a short camp. I would love that. Would love that. So <laughs> and then now, is everybody hot, or what are we dealing well, with? TV. I mean, TV. It's everyone, TV, everyone so is like TV doable, sure. TV ready, sure. Doable, you guys are bangable. You know, crushable. For a, for podcast hosts, we're awful judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Riri, so watch flirty dancing. <laughs> Riri, do you want to bring us home? Uh, yeah, my hill. Just connecting to the theme of the day is <laughs> I. I find it corny as hell that everyone associated with the television show Friends refuses to acknowledge that it is a ripoff of Living Single. <gasps> oh. So this came back up on Twitter. It, it honestly, because it's been this is the 20th anniversary of Friends or something like that, 25th, 25th anniversary. Yeah. Um, and Jennifer Aniston got uh, my morning news to clean, got yeah. Instagram. There's been a lot of like overly Friends press and it just left Netflix and it's this whole thing. So they're getting asked about it even more than normal. David mm-hmm. Schwimmer just did an Interv- oh, interview with idiot. Complex, I want to say, which wow. is a real contextual. Uh, I have a couple questions. Yeah. Um, and he was saying that, like, other than his fight for more diverse love interests for Ross, which I guess Gabrielle Union and Aisha Tyler, like, they got two. Um, he And he was married to a lesbian. And he was, That's right, he That's was right. married to a lesbian, <laughs> and he had an Asian girlfriend the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he hopes one day there could be an all-Asian uh, friends or an all-black friends. Oh. So, uh, oh, so, you know what, Shwimmy? Here's, I'm just going to break down some, like, facts. <laughs> um, this comes up very often because— 
uh, Living Single, uh, starring the great Queen Latifah mm-hmm. and multiple other like amazing comedy actors and theater actors, um, debuted in August 1993. If you're not uh, if you're not aware of like the television uh, development cycle, that's the end of pitch season. And uh, by the next August, Friends was debuted on NBC. Ooh. Queen Latifah, being interviewed by a very manic James Corden, was asked about this, and she said that year it premiered Warren Littlefield, who was the president of NBC at the time, when asked, which show would you like to take? He said, Living Single. And by next year, there was Friends. So I'm not, and I'm not like, I'm not yucking the yum of Friends. I've watched every episode of that show multiple times, even as problematic and strange as it is in retrospect. I love it. Mm -hmm. It was part of- It's funny. It's comfort food. It's comfort food. It's how I grew up. I I adore all of those actors. At Lisa Kudrow is a goddess. Mm -hmm. My problem is that everyone acts dumbstruck when people mention, like, mention this anyone involved with that show and it's like just say it I've been in this industry a long enough time that I've seen like multiple versions of shows developed in the same year like I remember when I was an assistant agency there was the assistance blog and that year there were three assistance pilots like it happens but the fact that it's been redo the math it's been (laughs) almost 30 years and folk are still acting like oh no friends no, Friends came out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like, no, that was, it was a part of the TV business that they wanted a white friend group to put on NBC because on a mostly uh, channel that was mostly watched by brown people, there was one very similar. It's it's so infuriating. Yeah. And I just like, I can't get over it because I'm just like, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah, it's like, yeah. if you were to acknowledge it, nobody is going to like say anything. You guys were the most, one of the most successful comedies of all time. Like mm-hmm. y'all stack those coins, good for you. Yeah. But like by pretending that there wasn't something that was very important to a different community that existed a, a full calendar yeah. year before <laughs> mm-hmm. is so... It, it's hurtful. Yeah. Living Single is streaming on Hulu. Please check it out. Okay. It's fine. I mean, I, I just want to thank you, Riri, for correcting me because I was under the impression that whites invented friendship. <laughs> until today. Um, Common misconception. I mean, I... This is growth. I mean, in gross. my history books, I read that in like seventh grade social studies that white people are the only people are friends. Um, but if you look at the entertainment industry, maybe. Maybe yeah. it's true. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe Who's it's true. Oh, man. Okay, on that note, <laughs> on that note, Note, gonna wrap it up. Uh, Riri, thanks for stopping by. Thanks to Tien and Grace, and thank you to Alyssa Master Monaco for calling in. And most of all, thank you to you, the listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. See you next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malconian for filming and editing our video content every week. Don't take it for